Thanks so much for reading that for us. Uh, so well, well, Naomi. Guys, let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, we, we praise you for your word. Lord, it is, it is so majestic. It is so much higher and bigger and deeper and wider than we are. And we need you, Father. We need you to reveal. We need you to speak. We need you to work now by your spirit in our hearts. Awaken us, Father. Our hearts will be drawn closer to you. That we would see the glory of Jesus through this passage and that you would be mighty at work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase said of somebody, they're on a mission. I guess what we mean by that is that you know, somebody is single-mindedly pursuing a goal, like nothing is getting in the way, they're on mission. So every morning, you could say, I am on mission to make a coffee. Um, that's my goal, I'm single-mindedly focused on that, nothing's getting in the way of those caffeinated aromas. <laughs> or you might say it more typically of a, of a work colleague, maybe in the office, they storm around, they're on mission, they're, getting, they're totally focused on what they've got to do, they're getting the report ready, they're getting accounts published, or they're getting presentation ready, they're on mission, right? Don't get in their way, they're on mission. But what about us as Christians? What would it look like for us, as God's people, to be on mission for God. We don't often kind of think like that. I, I guess we kind of sort of drift a bit as Christians, sort of mosey in and out of Christian things. But what would it look like for us to be single-mindedly focused on making the good news of Jesus Christ known to the world? What would that look like? To make disciple-makers, what would that look like? Well, that's where I think our passage really helps us today. Moses shows us what it looks like to be on mission for God. Firstly, to get on mission, and then secondly, and actually just importantly, to stay on mission, because that's always a challenge, isn't it? So what we're doing, we're jumping back into this uh, wonderful uh, old book of Exodus. What's going on? Well, God's people are in, in slavery in Egypt under the cruel Pharaoh. God has then, all the way since chapter 1, been raising up his rescuer, Moses, Right? God saved him from Pharaoh's evil plot to kill all the baby boys. God preserved him and brought him to the royal family of Pharaoh himself. But then Moses had to flee, didn't he, to Midian uh, because he killed that Egyptian. He fled to Midian for 40 years. He stayed there. But then God called him. After 40 years, God called him from a burning bush. Remember that? We saw that last time. And says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to carry my message to Pharaoh to let my people go. And last week, we saw in chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4, God graciously answers all those objections of Moses. When Moses is not up for it, so please send someone else. He was so gracious, wasn't he? Answered all his doubts, provided everything he needed. And so it comes to this. Moses is now ready to go to embark, to start on the mission of God. It's a big moment. And that's uh, point one in our sheets. What does it look like to be on mission? Well, first thing it shows, Moses teaches us, is that we need to leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Verses 18 to 20. As I said, this is a big moment in the story. Moses has to actually do it. He has to leave 
his old life behind and start a new life with God in charge. This is where he begins that long journey from Midian, looks it up, it's like 300 miles away, and start on that donkey ride all the way back to Egypt. 300 miles, some three weeks' journey on foot. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. What a guy Jethro is. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You know, I think it's really hard to underestimate how hard it would have been for Moses to uh, leave it all behind. I mean, he'd been in Midian, set up for 40 years. After fleeing there, as I said, from, from Egypt, after killing the Egyptian worker. So he'd made a life there. Things were going okay. He's got a family. It's where all his connections were, his networks. Imagine leaving a place that you'd lived in for 40 years. Hard, right? But he leaves it all behind for the sake of a higher call. A higher call, the call of God. And what, and what gave Moses the courage to do that, to actually leave his old life behind? Well, look at what the passage kind of focuses us in on verse 20. What did Moses clutch in his hand as he went? The staff of God, right? The very symbol of God's presence with him. The presence of the great I am, Yahweh, the Lord, was with him. That's what gave him the encouragement, the courage to go. You see, this was a path that Moses would not ever walk alone. Not one single step of that journey would be him on his own. God would be with him every step of the way. And that's what Jesus calls each one of us to do too. Leave it all behind. To leave our old life of ignoring God and going our own way. To follow him. To follow Christ. Going his way, knowing that he will be with us every step of the way. I think we've got it on the screens. Uh, Mark chapter 8 verse 34. These are Jesus' words. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The language of denying self, taking up your cross, following Jesus. That sounds tough, right? Why would anyone do it? Well, Jesus says, because if we lose our lives for his sake now and the gospels, we will save it. It's this kind of strange back to front stuff, isn't it? But if we want to if we want to keep our lives from God, say, no, God, it's my life. I'll do what I want with it. Go away. In the end, if we want to keep our lives like that, well, we'll lose it. But if we actually give our lives away to Jesus, we save it. The only way to keep your life is actually to give it away to Christ. 
Bit of a risky question here. Hands up if you like doing jigsaw puzzles. More than I expected. <laughs> now, one way of understanding this is to imagine that all of us are kind of constructing a bit of a jigsaw puzzle called our lives. And uh, we might, you know, we might uh, like knitting. Not me. But we might like knitting. We get a piece of puzzle called knitting. We're like, oh, I like knitting. I'll put it in my puzzle. Or we might really like cars. And so you get a piece of puzzle that says cars. And we're like, oh, quite like cars. I'll put it in my puzzle. And in this way, we all kind of build our life. We, we, we're like, shall I get a dog? They're expensive and sometimes smelly. Sorry, dog owners. Um, no, I, psh, I'll get rid of that. That won't go in my puzzle. You see, we're all kind of constructing this building puzzle, uh, a jigsaw puzzle called our lives. And then we come across another piece of puzzle, and it's called Jesus. And we look at it, and we're like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll put it in my puzzle somewhere. I, maybe there's a bit of room between my career and relationships. Put him in there in the corner. Add him in a bit. But guys, I've got to tell you, Jesus does not want to be part of your jigsaw puzzle. He refuses, in fact. Because actually, what he wants is for you to be part of his jigsaw puzzle. Do you get that? See, Jesus is building a jigsaw called his kingdom. And he is wanting you to leave behind your rubbish uh, jigsaw puzzle and be part of his glorious kingdom. It means leaving behind our old goals and ambitions for something far better, his kingdom, his goals, his priorities. You see, I think sometimes we think that becoming a Christian means we're, we're not ambitious or we don't have goals and priorities. We do, it's just that they're transformed, they're redeemed. We have God's goals and ambitions and priorities from now on. Why do we want to be part of Jesus' kingdom? Well, because the kingdom that he is building is so much better, so much more satisfying, so much more glorious, so much more eternal than any jigsaw puzzle we could ever build ourselves. What does it look like to be on mission as a Christian? Well, Moses shows us it means being prepared to leave it all behind for the sake of God. Secondly, being on mission means being a faithful messenger. This section is verses 21 to 23. So we know Moses was called by God to pass on God's message faithfully, not to change it, because it wasn't his message to change. It would have been tempting to soften it, because it was actually a very strong message, wasn't it? Just pick it up with me in verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. <laughs> if this message was given to me, I think I would be really tempted to leave that last sentence out, right? That is a strong message, isn't it? That's a hard message. But Moses couldn't change it because it wasn't his message to change. Do you see? 
I want to speak to that last sentence a little bit. Maybe maybe we're struggling in our hearts with that. Um, We need to understand, firstly, that the Bible always presents God as ultimately beautifully good, always pure, always holy, always righteous. There is no darkness in him. And if we think about it just for a moment, we realize just how just and fair God is being with Pharaoh here. Don't forget, Pharaoh is the one who in chapter 1 was mercilessly slaughtering children. (laughs) Uh, All the Israeli infant boys under two years old. This was the Pharaoh who had enslaved God's people for, uh, for a long, long time under terrible conditions. So much so that their cry went up to heaven. Notice, God calls his people, Israel, his firstborn son. Did you, did you spot that language? So the judgment is actually justly proportional to Pharaoh's sin. God is saying, look, Pharaoh, if you take my firstborn son, my people, I will take your firstborn son. You see how proportional it is. This is a fair and righteous judgment of almighty, holy God. So, Moses was to pass on this message from God to Pharaoh faithfully, because it wasn't his message to change, it was God's message. But did you also notice that Moses was also to trust God for the results of how this message would be received? Because it says that God said he would harden Pharaoh's heart, so he will not let the people go. Guys, this is getting into another massive topic of God's sovereignty over human hearts. If you want to read about it more at length, Romans 9 is a good place to go. I haven't got time to do that now. But let's just take from this the clear point that Moses' job was to pass on the message faithfully and then leave the results to God. We get that? That is still true for us today. If we want to be on mission for God, we too have been given a message from God, haven't we? The good news of Jesus Christ. And our job as Christians is to pass it on faithfully Not to change it, because it's not ours to change. And then pray. We do it faithfully, we do it prayerfully, trusting that God is in charge of how people will respond. We can leave the results to him. I find that incredibly liberating as a Christian, don't you? Because it means I don't need to play politics. I don't need to twist anything. I don't need to uh, spin doctor anything to make it more palatable to today's culture. Of course, we still need to find ways to present the good news in ways that are uh, culturally appropriate and in a way that people can understand. But we mustn't change the fundamental message. It isn't ours to change. It's God's message. So we pass it on faithfully and pray that God will be at work in people's hearts. You know the old phrase that goes, we invite, but God gives sight. We invite, but God gives sight. Or, as Paul put it, better, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. I think we've got it on the screen. Yeah, there it is. He puts it like this. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth. I love that phrase. The open statement of the truth. We will commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So what does it look like to be on mission for God? Well, Moses teaches us it means being faithful and prayerful, passer honor of God's message to others, leaving the results to him. Thirdly, to be on mission means remembering that we need saving 
just as much as those we're trying to reach. We need saving just as much as those we're trying to reach. This is uh, verses 24 to 26. Now, when I first read this, I was utterly blown away by what happens next. Uh, you know how since chapter 1, God was, you know, as I said, raising up his rescuer, preparing him, giving him a mission, calling him from burning bush, and off he goes. He's on the way. But then, who could possibly conceive what happens next? Verse 24, have a look down. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, that's Moses, and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, touches Moses' feet with it, and says, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumstances. Did you catch the shock? He's on the way. He's going. Moses is on the way. But the Lord meets him to put him to death. Why on earth would God do this, right? It's hard to say for sure, but I think the clue is has a large part to do with Moses' reluctance. Do you remember we saw that last week? His reluctance to go and be God's uh, messenger. Well, we read back in chapter 4, verse 14. Do you see it? Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now, this sin was never dealt with. And so I think it's come back to bite him. This teaches us something very deep, doesn't it? That even though Moses was God's man on a mission from God, he himself still needed saving from his sin. The rescuer needed rescuing himself. And atonement, uh, forgiveness, was achieved by the quick-thinking Zipporah, brilliant wife, by circumcising her son and using that blood touch Moses' feet. Now, this is very deep stuff, okay? And it's, and it's far outside our, our culture here, isn't it, in 21st century. And I don't fully understand these verses, I've got to admit. But I think we can take the, the point from it that Moses was still a sinner, and he needed saving from his sins by means of bloodshed. I think this is a little foretaste, a prelude of the great rescue that was to come later in Exodus, where rescue of his people would be made through bloodshed. And I think the application for us is, is the heading, number three. Remember that we need saving just as much as those we reach. Yes, Moses was to be this mighty instrument for God in the rescue of many, many people, and yet he himself still needed saving, and the same is true for us. You know, we mustn't ever forget that we need the gospel just as much as those outside the church. We need saving as much as anyone we're trying to reach. We need to preach Christ to our own hearts before we preach him to others. We're no better than anyone else. We're sinners too. The only difference is we're forgiven sinners. We know, we know the, the path to forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Someone once put it, we are merely hungry beggars showing other hungry beggars where to find bread. Love that description. We're no better than anyone else, but we know where we can find bread. We know the bread of life, Jesus. And Jesus is our bridegroom of blood. He touches us with his death so we can be reconciled. You know, King David, in his great repentance psalm, Psalm 51, you may know it, um, after his grievous sin with Bathsheba, put it like this. And I've kind of put a couple of verses together. I, I don't know if we've got it. Yeah, there it is. 
So, so notice the progression. Firstly, that top line, David says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. You see, David knew his sin. He knew he needed saving. Save me from my sins. Hide your face from my sins. But then once he'd received grace and forgiveness, the second line came in. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Do you see? Once he knew that he was saved, he then could hold that salvation out to others. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Ah, I think this is so... ah, I think we do need to hear this, because we just so easily forget that we ourselves still need saving. And the gospel can become something that we hold out to others. We forget to believe and rejoice and delight in ourselves. And what happens then is we, we start to look down on other people. And we think we're better than them. We don't see our need for Jesus so much, so we become self-righteous and proud and independent, and our hearts grow cold. And you know what? It's not very far until we become Pharisees. Do you see how important this is? We need to remember, we need saving just as much as those we reach. Let's keep repenting and believing in Jesus ourselves, loving him for his grace to us, because that's what will keep us on mission, delighting in the gospel of Jesus ourselves. Fourthly and lastly, what will keep us on mission? Number four, keep your confidence in the right place. This is this last section, 27. 31. So before arriving back in Egypt, Moses is reunited with Aaron, his brother. Big moment. Aaron was to be Moses' mouthpiece and speaker to Pharaoh. Do you remember that? Now, how did Moses convince Aaron to join him in the mission? Did Moses try to impress him with his experience of God or his knowledge of theology now or his great speech and charisma? No. Have a look at verse 28. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Do you see? So Moses had convinced Aaron, how? By the words and signs of God. These words were the words of the message of God that he'd given him to deliver. The signs were the miracles. Do you remember the staff and the leprous hand and the, the, blood, uh, the water to blood? The signs that proved his words were from God. And then they together, Moses and Aaron, then went, Uh, into Egypt and gathered the elders of Israel. And Aaron speaks this time, because that's the plan. But notice anything similar in how they convinced the, the elders of Israel. Verse 30, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the result is verse 31, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that they'd, he had seen their affliction, they bowed down and worshipped. See, this was teaching Moses that the thing that would cause people to believe and to bow down and worship God was not his charm or his appearance or his eloquence or his qualifications or even his family history. It was simply showing people the words and the signs of God. That's where the power is. And I think this is teaching us the same thing. That for us to stay on mission for God, we need to keep our confidence in the right place. In the words and signs of God, all contained in one book, beautifully. The Bible. This is where our confidence needs to be. It's so easy for us, I think, to 
for our confidence to shift and slide a little bit to other things, maybe to start putting our confidence in the slickness of our meetings or the eloquence of the speaker or the, 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 the greatness of the music or that we'll have a shiny new building eventually uh, or just the kind of we're sort of decent size as a church. You know, it's, it's tempting to put our confidence in these things to impress people. Actually, no. None of that has any power whatsoever to change anyone. The only thing that has the power is the Bible. The words and the signs of God. That is what will cause people to bow down, believe and worship Jesus. So let's keep our confidence in the right place, brothers and sisters, in the Bible, because that's what will keep us on mission. You know, perhaps you're new to Christian things and uh, all this is a bit strange and you're not really sure where to start with all this. I think it shows us where to start. Start with the words and signs of God. Start with the Bible. That's where to look. Don't get distracted by whether you like the building or whether you like the style of the music or whether you like the coffee. Coffee's lovely, by the way, Linda. Um, Focus on the words and signs of God. Focus on the Lord Jesus. Start with him. Because it's only once you come to Christ that then you can actually be on mission for Christ. It's only after coming to him. But you know, as we close, everything that we've seen um, with Moses' return to Egypt, this was only ever a shadow. This is only ever a picture. Beautiful picture. Pointed to one who would come who would be greater than Moses, by far. To achieve a greater rescue than the world has ever seen by the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as we look at Jesus, we realize that he would be the one on mission from God, from God on high, sent from heaven by his Father. Jesus would be the one to leave it all behind, to leave sapphire-paved courts for stable floor, to leave the very throne room of heaven come into our world full of darkness and destruction and, and sadness. He would leave it all behind on a rescue mission from God for us. As we think of Jesus, we remember he's the one who would faithfully teach the very words of God, transform the world with his message. As we look at Jesus, he was the one who wouldn't ever require atonement for his own sins like Moses did but be the one who would lay down his sinless life so that his blood would touch and atone for all those who trust in him. And Jesus, lastly, would be the one who would speak the very words and do the very signs of God so that we would know for sure that God has seen us in our affliction and has visited us in our suffering and that we would see and believe and bow down and worship him forever. Ultimately, what does it look like to be on mission for God? It looks like Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words to us today. Father, please help us to leave it all behind, to follow Christ on his way, knowing you'll be with us. Help us be faithful messengers of your message, not to change it, it's not ours to change, and trust you for the results. Help us to remember that we need the gospel just as much as those we're trying to share it with. We ourselves would be delighting 
in Christ and his sacrifice for us. That he is our bridegroom of blood. And please help us to keep our confidence in the right place, the power of your word. And we thank you most of all for Jesus, who is all these things to us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. The musicians make their way up. Um, when the music starts, please do stand and we're going to sing. We're going to join in singing.